we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. Last week we were introduced to David. I know David is excited about this part of the book of of 1 Samuel. Uh, David is the forgotten youngest son of a man named Jesse. David's a shepherd, but he has been chosen by God, anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. The first step in David's journey is going to be to play the lyre for King Saul to calm him down when Saul's uh, tormenting spirit comes over him. At this point, David is traveling back and forth to Bethlehem and to minister when Saul is at home in the court. He is still relatively unknown. Chapter 17, if you've read ahead, you know, opens with yet another battle that's about to erupt between Israel and the Philistines, these ancient enemies. Ever since Israel had entered the promised land, they never fully drove out um, the nations living there, the foreign nations. And so there's continual raids and standoffs and battles for territory in the promised land. Now, this particular battle will not be fought in the traditional way with both armies charging. The Philistines, you'll, you'll read, will send out and challenge Israel to what's called a champion battle. Uh, the, this is the context for the famous fight between David, the champion of the living God, and Goliath, champion of the Philistines. Champion warfare is found in a variety of places in ancient history and epic poetry and the idea is that two armies come out and face each other in battle and the outcome is determined by a single fight between the greatest warrior from each armies from those nations and you can read about champion battles in in ancient chinese french indian greek irish cultures and literature and it's like a duel but each warrior represents the nation and the outcome the winner or loser impacts the entire nation The most common example of a champion battle outside of the Bible is in Homer's Iliad. Some of you may remember from English class or from various books or or movies when Achilles the Greek defeats Hector the Trojan in a champion battle. So this is the context as we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here's how this is going to go this morning. I'm going to read the entire chapter, a long chapter. It is uh, 58 verses. Then I'm going to unpack the whole chapter, unpack the whole story, try to give some clarity. And then we're going to look this morning at three attributes, three attributes of a champion of the living God. Sound good? Let me pray and then we'll dive in. Father, we ask again that you would send your spirit to lead us in your word, to give us insight, to yes, inspire us, to yes, challenge us, yes, encourage us. But more than any of that, to to call us again to faith in Christ, to trust in Christ, and to follow Him in whatever lays ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkot and Azekah in Ephes Damamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze, he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. 
and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Elab, the firstborn, and next to him, Aminadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his sheep, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle against army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled with him, fled from him, and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him and, and great, with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Elab, his eldest brother, heard him when he spoke to the men. And Elab's anger was kindled against David. And he said to him, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, 
and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. What an amazing story. I mean, this story is is one of the most famous, most profound, most breathtaking, most inspiring, most well-known stories in all the Bible for good reason. This is an amazing story, right? An amazing battle. It begins... It begins with the Philistines standing in in battle against the army of Israel. Now, what exactly are they attempting to do? Why is Philistine making this attack? Look at the map you see on the screens. They have invaded Israelite territory. They're moving westward, westward, excuse me, eastward from from Ekron and Gath, and they stop at the valley of, of Elah. And this is where the standoff is taking place. As the Philistines are moving into Israelite territory, what is on the other side of the Valley of Elah, right? So you can see on the map, 
Ekron and Gath, that red line indicating their, their forward movement, the, the two swords, the X marks the spot, that would be the battle. As they continue moving eastward, what is on the other side? Somebody call it out. Bethlehem. Where's David from? The little town of Bethlehem. Do you realize that the battle of Elah is taking place 14 miles from David's house, from his hometown, from his family, from the people he knows and loves? They have entered his territory. They're seeking to take over God's land, and they are threatening him and his people. And so King Saul gathers his men on the one side of the valley of Elah, the Philistines on the other. The artist's rendering of our, of our background from the, from the series actually is intended to represent the valley of Elah. And so that, that's what this is here that we've been looking at for all these weeks. And the Philistines, we read in verse 4, send out this, this warrior named Goliath. And he is huge. He is fierce. He is intimidating. And he's called in the Hebrew a champion. Literally, the word means a single fighter. They're sending out a single fighter, right? He's six cubits and a span tall. Six cubits was the length of a man's forehand. A span is the length of a man's hand. Goliath is over nine feet tall. By the way, I looked it up. The tallest person ever recorded in modern history was a guy by the name of Robert Wadlow, born in Illinois in 1918. Robert Wadlow stood 8 feet 11 inches, so not quite as tall as Goliath. But this guy is, is a huge monster of a man. He's got a bronze helmet. He's got an armor made of metal scales that weighed over 100 pounds. He carries this huge javelin with an iron tip that's slung across his back. He's got a man walking in front of him with a huge shield as his shield bearer. Everything about this warrior, this single fighter, is large and intimidating. The man is like a tank. And he's literally been bred. He's literally been trained since childhood as a war machine. And he represents everything that the depraved Philistine nation represents. Their false gods, their immorality, their defiance of the one true God, their violence. Goliath is a foe among foes, right? It's interesting. Archaeologists have actually un, un, uh, unpacked, dug up in the Philistine city of Gath, uh, a piece of pottery with the name Goliath written on it that dates from this exact time period. And every day, this tank of a man comes out twice a day in the morning and the evening. For 40 days, he comes out and he taunts God's people from the other side of the valley. And he's shouting, what are you doing here lined up for battle? I'm a Philistine. You're servants of the weak King Saul. He says, let's get this over with. Pick a champion. Send somebody out here to fight me. If he wins, we'll be your servants. But if I win, you will be our servants. And so day after day, they hear this taunt from the massive Goliath. And the army is terrified. They are demoralized. Why? Well, ultimately they're led by a failed and cowardly king, Saul. Saul, who's supposed to be the king, who's supposed to be leading the nation. He, after all, is the tallest man in Israel, right? Saul himself should either go out and fight Goliath or appoint a a warrior to do so, but they're all cowering with their king and with the army. And we read then in verse 12, the scene changes back to David. His oldest three brothers are on the battlefield. He's still too young to enlist in the army. He's been recruited into Saul's entourage to play the liar. He's going back and forth between his duties at home and his duties with the king. His father Jesse says, go run to the front lines. Take this food to your brothers. 
bring back a report about how they're doing. When he arrives at the camp in verse 19, everybody's just waking up and they're going out to the front lines for their standoff for the day. And so David runs with them to the battle lines to find his brothers to see how they're doing. And as they're talking, as he's catching up with his brothers, Goliath comes out and begins his taunts for the day. And it's a humiliating scene because the men run from the the front lines in verse 24 we read. Now you have to remember that most of Israel's army at this point is still just a part-time militia. They have very little training. They have less experience. They have no equipment. And they're literally coming to battle with axes, with clubs, with farming tools. And they're facing a professional military army, warriors that have bred in a violent culture to kill and destroy. And David asks and turns and says, what's to be done to the man who faces and kills this filthy Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine? He's unclean. He is not in covenant with God. He, he's a disgrace to Israel and it needs to be removed. You have to look at David's perspective. He says, this, this Philistine is shouting in defiance of, of whom? The armies of the living God. See, listen, Goliath is not just a threat to his brothers, to the army. This standoff means something more. Goliath is insulting the living God. So the soldiers tell David, well, the one who faces and defeats Goliath, he's going to be a rich man. Saul's going to give him wealth. He's going to give him his daughter's hand in marriage. He's going to release his entire family from taxes and financial burden. It's interesting. It's very, very clear David's motivation is to defend the honor of the living God, but he's not uninterested in the reward. Now in verse 28, David's oldest brother Elab gets angry with him. He's like, man, what are you doing here anyway? who's watching your little sheep while you're here i know your arrogance and your evil motives you're just here to see some of the action david's got nobody standing with him not even his own brothers and david's like elam calm down man all i did was ask a question right now in verse 31 word gets to the king that there's a young man on the battlefield who's not part of the army that's asking and displaying more courage than anybody else and so saul says bring him here to me and david tells saul don't lose heart I'm your servant and I will go. I will fight this filthy, godless Philistine. And Saul's like, you can't fight Goliath. You're just a kid. And him, he's been training to fight, to destroy since he was your age. It's a mismatch and you can't go. But David says, you forget one thing. I've been a shepherd my whole life and I've been tending sheep. And every time a lion or a bear came up to my flock, Carried off one of my young lambs. I never backed down. I went after the beast and I attacked it and I grabbed its fur and I killed it and I rescued my lamb. I've met my fair share of predators and this Goliath is no different from them. He's no different than a lion or a bear. He has defied the armies of the living God, David says, and he will be slain and the Lord God will rescue me from this animal just as he has from all those other animals. Now, what's interesting is if you take a step back and look, based upon David's experience, his natural skill against predators of the wild, it's actually more of an even match than you might initially think. But then you add in one thing that David has, the Lord's favor. And far from, from David being outmatched, David actually has the upper hand. He has the upper hand with his skill, with his courage, but most of all with his faith and with God himself that is with him because David is confident that the Lord will deliver him. And David has been training his entire life to be a shepherd of sheep. And now he's beginning to learn what it means to be a shepherd of the nation. Now, surprisingly, Saul is convinced by David's speech and his courage. 
And he trusts David to go fight. I don't understand why he does, because if David loses the battle, it's going to have severe consequences for the entire nation. And so I think one of the two things is the case in the heart of King Saul. Either there's some divine intervention going on here, and God may actually be giving Saul some supernatural faith to trust David to go be their natural champion. Either that or Saul is just pathetically desperate, and he's like, fine, you want to go, go. And so in verse 38, Saul suits up David with his own helmet and body armor. Saul's trying to give David what he believes is the best chance at victory. Saul is probably also thinking to himself, well, if he's wearing my armor, at least I get a little bit of credit for going out there. David straps on the armor, straps on the sword. He tries to walk, but it's no use. The armor doesn't fit. He has no experience fighting in military armor. Listen, David is going to fight this battle, not in another soldier's armor. Saul's trying to get David to fight with the conventional methods of war, but David is not fighting as a soldier with the conventional weapons. He is fighting as a shepherd with the Lord God as his weapon. And so he takes off the armor, he grabs his shepherd's staff, he grabs his his trusted sling, and he goes and, and finds five stones, five bullets to go confront this Philistine champion. Now a sling was an incredibly light, accurate, and deadly weapon. You can see here on the screen that it was not like what we think about like a modern day slingshot. This was a weapon of war. There are are ancient records in the Bible and elsewhere of regiments trained with a sling lining up in battle similar to like archers. And you'd have a pouch that you'd put your, your bullet in and two strings that you'd wind up across your across the top of your head. You'd let go of one side of the string. 60 miles an hour, a trained slingman could fire a bullet with deadly accuracy. David is trained for years in the wilderness using his sling to hunt for food, to ward off predators. He has lots of time to practice and he is accurate and he is deadly. And so in verse 41, he comes down into the valley. Goliath comes out to meet him. Goliath takes one look at little David and he scoffs and he yells curses. What is this? Am I a dog coming out here with sticks and stones? Goliath says, I'm going to leave your dead body laying here to be torn apart by the beasts and eaten by the wild beasts, right? Which is a curse. It's an insult to not be buried, to be left out in the open. David replies, It says, you come to me with your big fancy sword and your javelin. But I come to you in the name of Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have scorned with your obscene cursing and yelling. Listen, Goliath has his shield bearer by his side, but David has the God of Israel by his side. And so he shouts out to this Philistine, all of it stops today. He says, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down. I will cut off your head right here in front of everyone. And I'll leave your corpse and all the corpses of the Philistine laying in this valley. And then the whole earth will know, will know what? Will know that there is a God in Israel. And Goliath says, and everyone will know that it is not by sword. It is not by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle belongs to the Lord. And so Goliath comes out for his attack, and David, he runs. He charges him confidently. As he's running, he pulls out a a stone from his bag. He loads it up. He winds up, and he slings that stone, makes a direct hit. The stone penetrates Goliath's forehead. He falls face down on the ground. Now remember, Goliath is wearing this bronze, state-of-the-art helmet and armor. He's nine feet tall. 
against a sword fight, against a one-on-one sword fight, I believe Goliath would have been unbeatable. A soldier wouldn't have been able to beat Goliath that day, but a shepherd did. Goliath has one vulnerability. He's got a section of his forehead that's exposed. And for David and his deadly sling, that's all David needs. He kills him right there on the spot. Verse 50 says that he runs over. David's got no sword. He's not a soldier. He takes Goliath's own sword. He decapitates him right on the battlefield. And the rest of the army of the Philistines see this, see their champion, their undefeatable champion dead, slain by a small shepherd boy. They run. They run in retreat. The army of Israel shouts. They run them down. They plunder their camp. They leave a trail of dead bodies, the Bible says, all the way back to Gath and Ekron, where they came from. David keeps Goliath's sword and his armor. It becomes his own sword, we read later in the book. Goliath's head is displayed at Jerusalem as a trophy of war. Saul sees all this in verse, in verse 55, and, and he calls David to himself, realizing he's just promised him wealth, his daughter's hand in marriage, his whole family free of financial burden. And, and he says to Abner, his military general, who is this guy? Abner doesn't know, so they call David into his presence David's carrying the head of Goliath, by the way. Let there be no doubt what David has just done. And he reminds Saul and Abner, I am David, son of Jesse, your servant. We read next week that it's at this point David becomes a permanent installation in Saul's administration. He becomes a general. He becomes the rising king of Israel. Listen, I don't have a lot of personal stories and illustrations this week. Okay, because if that is not inspiring, if that story doesn't get you fired up, if that's not vivid enough, I can't help you. David, this powerful, inspiring figure, this champion of the living God. What does it mean to be a champion of the living God? Three attributes we see here in the story. Three attributes of what it is to be a champion. First of all, a champion steps up, steps up to take on the threats of God's people. Listen, I believe you can make a very strong case from the text that this was not David's fight. He's only at the battle to deliver bread, to take a message back to his dad. David is not a soldier. He's not in the army. There's not a single person asking him to take on this fight. His brother Elab wants him nowhere near the battle. No one is expecting David to get involved, but guess what? He does. He steps up. He takes ownership. He takes responsibility. He takes initiative to defend God's people, to defend his family and his hometown 14 miles away. He says to the soldiers, who is, who is this filthy Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, my God? David is not going to sit by. He's not going to watch this happen as his God and his army is disgraced. He says to Saul in verse 32, Let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go fight with him. He says, I've struck down bears, I've struck down lions. This uncircumcised Philistine, he says in verse 36, shall be added to them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. Listen, David could have walked away that day and it would have been no fault. Nothing would have been held against him. But he doesn't walk away. He makes it his problem. He steps up because he knows that God's people are being threatened, that God's reputation is being disgraced. A champion steps up to take on threats against God's people. Secondly, we see through David that a champion fights with God's weapons, not the world's weapons. I love the fact. I love it. 
that, that David not only has faith and courage to volunteer, but when King Saul tries to give him his armor and his sword, David's like, nah, I'm good. I got my staff. I got my, my staff and I'll get some rocks. David uses what he knows, what he is familiar with. He uses what is tried and, tre- and tested. He's not intimidated by Goliath's state-of-the-art armor. He, he knows he, this guy is no different than a bear. David is a capable warrior who has faced and defeated similar predators. And he knows that his true weapon, his true weapon is not his sling, but it's his trust in the living God. The Lord of hosts is by his side. And so he shouts out in verse 45, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, right? What David does is not with conventional weapons, It's not ultimately David who wins the battle. It's not his sling. It's not his accuracy. What is it? It's the Lord. It's the Lord who saves, not with the weapons of this world. Listen, our Lord God does not need swords and spears. He does not need strength and might. He does not need intelligence or money or fame because a champion is one who fights with God's weapon. And the ultimate weapon is God himself, his presence, his presence to drive out peace, to drive out evil, to bring peace, his power and his spirit at work through his champion. Thirdly, I think this story shows very clearly that a champion trusts in the living God for victory. Was David experienced in battle? You better believe it. Was he skilled with a sling? Absolutely. He was deadly. Was he courageous more than any other soldier in Israel? But as we just read, his greatest strength, his greatest strength was that he trusted in the Lord of hosts, the living God. Listen, for David, the Lord, the Lord God is not just Israel's God. It's not just the prophet Samuel's God. God is not just an idea. God is not someone trapped in the tabernacle. For David, God is the living God. And so he says in verse 37, the the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. Such faith, such confidence. He says in verse 47 again, what? The battle is the Lord's. This is not Philistine versus Israel. This is not David versus Goliath. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give this enemy into my hand. David is the hero, the champion of the story. Why? Because he trusts in the living God for victory, and God uses him mightily. God uses him mightily. And we read this story, and we've heard it since we were kids, in children's books, in Sunday school, in cartoons, right? And who do you most identify with in the story? I mean, we've been, we've been reading this story, many of us, for years and years. Who do you identify with? Through whose eyes do you see this story? We all want to be like David, don't we? We all want to be like David with that courage, with that faith. Brothers and sisters, listen, the reality is, the people in the story that we are most like, is those soldiers. Those soldiers that were on the front line but too weak to engage. Those soldiers that were inexperienced compared to the Philistines, that were outmatched in terms of their armor and their weaponry. Those soldiers that were powerless, that were cowering from the enemy with no one to lead them. The reality is, as we read the story, that's who we are. Because apart from God's grace, we are overcome overcome by a nine-foot-tall giant called sin, death, and the devil. Listen, what we need is not better weapons. 
What you need to get through life to overcome sin, death, and the devil is not more courage. What we need is a champion. What's a champion? A single fighter, a shepherd warrior to fight on our behalf to rescue us from our enemies. And the reality is that this story, like so many, foreshadows Jesus. Because David was not just a man. I mean, he, he, sorry, he was just a man and he would fail like every other human shepherd and soldier and general and prophet and priest and king. But all that is good and godly in David ultimately foreshadows our true champion. David was representing the nation of Israel that day, but he was also prefiguring the Messiah of Israel. Remember this fulfillment diagram we looked at at the beginning of our series. You've seen it before in classes and blogs. Jesus himself argued that the Messiah would be both son of David and Lord of David. And so Jesus comes as descendant of David, but also Lord of the great King David. And as we read these stories, we begin in this diagram. Number one, we identify what's the main theme, what's the main character. In this case, it's David, the shepherd champion. And then secondly, we move up and we interpret what's the larger truth at work here, as we've just unpacked. The larger truth of this story is that God works through his champion, not using weapons of this world, but rescuing his people through faith and God's weapons. And then we look to see how does the New Testament, how does scripture reveal to us this truth in Christ? And we see that Jesus is the true champion of our people. And only once you've gone the long way around can you apply this story to your life. Once we see Christ and his work and the reality that Jesus is our champion. Jesus is the champion of the living God who stepped up to take on God's threat, the threat against God's people. Listen, the human race faced a ruthless giant, the foe of death. Ever since the one man, Adam, first human ever created, willingly turned from God, he disobeyed all people. All people from every nation have been subject to death. Again and again, people try, they try to overcome their own predicament. And people through the ages have used hard work and rules to try to find their own path of life. People have tried to to find a champion to fight for them amongst other humans, political figures, religious figures, cultural icons. But there is no human, there is no idea, no army that can defeat the enemy of death. And so what we need is not a more inspirational leader, not a bigger, stronger army. What we need is one divine human, one champion of the living God to bring us from life to death. A champion is a single fighter who takes on our cause, who steps in for us to fight for us. One man who would represent us, God's anointed one, our representative. And so Romans 5, 17 says this about our champion, Jesus, for if... Because of one man's trespass, that's looking there at Adam, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus stepped up. He took on our cause and to defend the threat against God's people. He is our champion. He's our champion who fought not with the weapons of this world, but fought with God's weapons. See, because when Jesus showed up in first century Palestine, the Jewish people of his day expected the Messiah to be a political king. They expected one who would come and, and bring revolution in government. They expected the Messiah to come as a military general, to lead them in battle, to slay their enemies with things like armors and swords. They expected a religious leader 
They expected the Messiah to come as one who would reform the laws of Moses and, and reform the temple sacrifice. But here's Jesus showing up as what? A shepherd, a shepherd warrior to fight, not as the world does, but as the good shepherd does. And our champion, Jesus, would rescue God's people from our enemy, the devil. This ancient warrior, the devil, who has been training for thousands of years for the sole purpose of destroying you and I. The devil, our enemy, who was a liar, who taunts us and accuses us and disgraces God and his people. Whose sole focus is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, our single fighter, our champion, stood up against the devil and his temptations in the wilderness, stood up against the devil and his struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, stood up against the devil and his suffering on the cross. And Jesus says this in John chapter 10. The thief, alluding there to the devil himself, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For this reason the Father loves me, because I have laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus willingly gives himself for you and I, this, this chief shepherd, this champion, who through his primary weapon, his atoning death, defeats Satan. Jesus is our champion who takes up the cause, who fights with the Lord's weapons, who trusts in the living God for victory just as David did. Jesus came again and again, he says, to serve the living God, to rescue his people from the vile, depraved, impenetrable giant of our own sin. And he says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Because we're enslaved, each and every one of us, to idolatry, to pride, to lust, to greed, to anger, to defiance against the living God. And it rages inside of all of us. And so Jesus came to defeat the monster of our own sin on the cross, to fill us with new life through the resurrection. And Jesus represents us as our champion to trample on our enemies, to cut off the head of the serpent in open triumph. The Word of God says this in Colossians chapter 2 about our champion. And you, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him cutting off the head of our ancient enemy, enemy, Satan himself. See, the story of David and Goliath is the story of Jesus and his defeat of sin, death, and the devil. And I hope and pray that you're inspired by the story of David and Goliath, but let it inspire you and point you to Jesus, to greater faith, to greater awe, to greater devotion, to greater obedience at who Jesus is and what he has done for you and I. And now... In light of that, in light of our champion's victory, now we can look at our own lives. And now we can look at what it means for you and I to fight for the living God, with the living God. Now you and I can stand up against our enemies with courage. Not as champions, because let me tell you this this morning, Jesus is the only single fighter in the kingdom. None of us stand on that battlefield alone as the champion of the nation. That is Jesus and Jesus' role alone. We are now soldiers following him. Remember the story. After David defeated Goliath and the Philistines fled, what did the rest of the warriors do? 
The ones that previously were too weak, too afraid, what do they do? They plunder the Philistines. They ran after them and chased them out of their territory. Why? Because their champion had the victory. And so now through faith in Christ, through his power, through his work in us, now we step up to take on what threatens us, what threatens our loved ones, our children, our spouses, our families, our neighbors. We step up not as a champion warrior, but we step up as soldiers following behind, finishing the victory that has been won. As sin, as temptation, as discouragement, as despair, as, as false ideologies wreak havoc on the world around us. Through faith in Christ, through His Spirit in us, we can now fight. And we don't fight with the world's armor. We don't use worldly weapons. We, we don't stand as people of God using sinful pride or human force. We're not coming at people with pushy arguments. We're not, we're not trying to win with higher morality or, or some kind of fearless courage, but with God's weapons, with faith, with hope with love, with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now through faith in Him, we fight. We fight confidently every day in our own hearts, in the world around us. Now we live in peace because we trust. We trust the living God for victory just as Jesus did, just as David did. We trust God for victory over our own sin, over the ultimate enemy of death, over every attack of the devil, over his deceptions in your heart and the hearts of your loved ones, over his accusations against you and your loved ones, over his temptations that still plague you and seek to choke you every day. We share in his victory and we bring this great gospel of Jesus Christ to our own hearts, to our families, to this church and to the community around us. And and we fight alongside of our champion who has defeated the enemy. Amen? We remember the words of Ephesians 6. You get a lot of use out of this passage. The Word of God says to you this morning, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, friends, brothers, sisters, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Stand firm because your champion has defeated your enemies. Amen.